Good morning. You'll turn in your Bibles to the text in Luke, the 11th chapter. Luke chapter 11. That will be our opening text this morning. I remember it very, very well um, 15 years ago on this day. I remember on my way to work, I had driven the church van home the night before because we had uh, some plans to pick kids up on the evening of September 11th to go for a youth event. It was a Tuesday night and we were having a special event in the hometown that, that I was teaching in at the time. And I remember driving down the main road and there were lines at the gas stations and I thought, you know, they must be having a sale on gasoline because I, I didn't know anything at this point. I was a young guy. I didn't really listen to much news. The internet wasn't as big of a thing back then and the news didn't come instantly on your phone. So I was kind of oblivious to what was going on. I just knew that it was a beautiful morning. The sun was shining bright. And so I thought, well, I'll probably, probably need to go get the church credit card and I'll go back and fill the van up. If somebody's selling gas cheap, now's the time to do it. So I walk into the church office and it was on the monitors in the office. One of our shepherds was the secretary and he had it on the TV what had happened in New York City that morning. And I remember for just a moment sitting down with him and he instantly said, Tony, we need to pray about this right now. And we, he began to pray with me and I with him. And we were praying over what was happening. And what I truly remember about the event that day is the blue sky. God spoke to me this morning when I woke up and I was on my way to work and the sky was so blue. And I knew that this was a thought in the opening part of this sermon. And I, I thanked God for that this morning. Of rem just that subtle reminder. But I'll tell you something that was even more impacting than the blue sky and those ter that terrible vision of those jets hitting those buildings. What was more impactful is what happened the day after that at our church at Fairlawn in Muncie, Indiana. The city council of Muncie, Indiana had reached out to all of the houses of faith, all the places of faith in the city, and they had asked each place, each, each church, if you will, to host a prayer meeting. And the city council went out on the airwaves and the TV and in the newspaper and they asked everyone in the city to go to their local neighborhood church and pray. Pray. What was most impactful to me and what happened in that whole event was as the first time as a minister, I don't mind telling you, I didn't have to pick up the phone and beg people to come to a prayer meeting. In fact, we had more in attendance on that Wednesday night at our prayer meeting than we did the whole time that we preached and we taught at Fairlawn Church. You didn't have to beg folks from the community to come to church that night. They were there. They were knocking at the door. And church, what I say this morning is how, how sad that is in some sense that it takes something like that to get us to rally around something so impactful and impacting as prayer. So this morning, I I've, I've, I've want to look at with you a couple of lessons from God's Word on prayer. I've chosen this Scripture in Luke chapter 11 in Jesus' teaching of prayer to His apostles. And then I want to take a look at Acts chapter 12 
which is an awesome story of the church's prayer and the prayer practices of the church when Peter is in prison. I want to take a look at these two stories to pull out some things that I think can be helpful for us. But before I do, I want to ask you all a question. What are you a fan of? I mean, a true fanatic about. You know, my thought I was thinking this morning is there are some true fanatics, right? Traveling down the interstate and out 70 and, and coming into the city for the big, the what? The Chiefs game, right? Arrowhead, Arrowhead will have some of the craziest fanatics out there today that you've ever seen. In Kansas City, I know we have some fanatics, but true sports fanatics are found in Chicago. They are the Bears fans and the Cubs fans, okay? Because if you stick with somebody that loses that much, you are a true fanatic, okay? Now, I know we Royal fans can connect with that a little bit, right? But you're truly a fanatic when you stick with something and you go at it. Well, this morning I want to ask you, are you a fanatic about your faith? Are you a fanatic about your faith to the point that you will still go, you will continue to go to the well of prayer with God through the Holy Spirit time and time and time again, even when it doesn't go your way? Are you a true fanatic when it comes to God and you need to approach Him? Do you truly believe with all your heart that what you're approaching Him about, He can do? That He can do for you, He can do through you, He can do in your presence. Because that's what God needs in regard to prayer. He needs some true fanatics. You know, I was just, just about a year and a half, two years ago, maybe, maybe longer, you know how time flies. I was in Montgomery, Alabama, and I was taking what they call one of the critical weeks for schooling, where you just have a one solid week of nothing but class, like 65 hours of instruction. And I was taking a break one night, and I went to a little sports bar that was there to get a big tenderloin. They had these tenderloins like the size of your head. And so I sat down, but it was the night of the Alabama-Auburn game. Okay, and I'm in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay, so I walk in the bar, and you know how it used to when you were probably younger, many of you were younger, and I know how it was when I was younger, a restaurant would have a smoking section, and it would have a non-smoking section, right? And there was like a neutral ground in the middle of it. And I don't know, I guess those people were just the ones that died of secondhand smoke or whatever, because they were the closest. Well, this bar had an Auburn section and an Alabama section. Okay? And you had to wear a hard hat if you sat in the middle. That's how fanatic these people were. The church needs some people who are fanatics about prayer. The church needs a place where when people come in, they know battle's going to take place. Spiritual warfare is going to take place. And it's going to start with our prayers to God. You know, if you think about the time that these men spent with Jesus, they saw Him heal people. I mean, go up and touch lepers and they were healed. Saw Him give the blind sight and the deaf ears. They saw Him raise the dead. And what do you suppose would be the first thing that they would ask for when everything finally came still and they were sitting at the feet of Jesus and they had a chance to say, Hey Jesus, will you teach me something? 
You know, I was thinking about that question. I'd really like to be the dude that like healed people. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be awesome to walk into the hospital and just go from bed to bed and say, go get him. You're healed. That'd be the most cool power ever. Could you imagine being the person that had the power to give someone sight who had never seen before? Could you imagine what it would be like to go up and touch them and all of a sudden they can see, and for the first time to see the look on their face when they could actually see something? Wouldn't that be powerful? But let me tell you something, church. What God's apostles wanted to, what Jesus' apostles wanted to know, we find out right here in chapter 11. Read with me. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Well, he said to them, When you pray, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, before I jump down and share another part of this, what I want you to hear is this. Of all those cool things that Jesus' apostles could have wanted, what did they want Him to teach them? How to pray. You see, one of Jesus' most impacting lessons to His apostles was His prayer life. Now, that's powerful. That's powerful. Church, think about it when your children come up and say something to the effect like, Hey, Dad, will you show me how to do this? You know, that's a big step for a child to take. Because most of the time, as a parent, you're the village idiot. Right? That's just a fact. But when they finally come up to you and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, will you teach me this? It's because they've seen you do it and that has had an impact on their life. Jesus had an impact on His apostles with prayer. Now, jump on down, if you would, for me to verse 11. Listen to what Jesus said after going through some examples of what prayer should be like in a person's life and the impact. He says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And you know what Jesus is saying here is that there's an appropriate way to approach prayer. There's an appropriate way to ask. And it's through the Holy Spirit speaking through you. It's allowing God to manifest Himself in you and for that to come out in language to God that's holy, that's focused. You know, there's some, there's some things that we can take from that. But here's the, here's the three things I want us, or at least the two things I want us to consider is first, Jesus' prayers impacted His apostles. And then His apostles' prayers impacted the church. So Jesus gave His apostles something that they could then pass on. And it was godly and it was holy. And if you don't believe that, you only have to look as far as what the apostles accomplished in establishing the church. I mean, you've got 12 men that set the world on its edge. From these 12 men, there's millions of people that worship God today. That prayer was powerful and those prayers were impactive, 
impacting in what Jesus taught them made a difference. I want you to hear what Albert Lemons said. He said this. He's an author and a, and a teacher of prayer in our brotherhood. He said, when God and man meet in prayer, the world is at a turning point. Think about that statement. That when God and, and man talk, the world is at a point where something's going to change. That's impact. That's true impact. You know, there's, the truth is we know a great deal about Jesus' impacting lessons when we read the Gospels. The prayer life that Jesus taught is shown 33 times in prayers that we see in the book of Acts about the Lord's church. This story that we're going to talk about in Acts 12 is a wonderful story of prayer. And it shows some realisms about Christianity. It shows some realisms about the way Christian life goes and how it happens and how our prayer life uh, works in regard to our relationship with God. The most important thing that I believe we need to understand is the purpose of prayer and the process of prayer. We've talked a little bit about purpose. I want to shift gears and I want to talk a little bit about process. But before I do, I thought it was important that I show you how not to pray. Watch. Julie, Eunice, and I are so glad you could join our prayer group. Lord knows we need prayer now more than ever. Amen, sister. Barbara and I just love to lift the needs of others up in prayer. Well, I appreciate your invitation. Well, enough of this chitter-chatter. we got to get this show on the road. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the Hendersons are in real need of prayer. Tom Henderson lost his job. Did you see Tom Jr.'s haircut the other day? <laughs> it looked like a porcupine on Red Bull. I hear Tom Sr. spends all day on the computer looking at the Internet, watching videos on the YouTube. That's probably why he got fired. Oh, no, no, no. His boss caught him on the surveillance camera playing Texas Hold'em. Hold them accountable, I say. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for housewives like us to have hobbies, but he's a man of the church. He has a family. He should know better. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, I would like to lift up Verna Carlson. Oh, well, she has not been feeling very well. What's wrong with her? Well, I heard it was her weight, five pounds in one week. More like 15. Someone needs to tell her that eating ice cream will not save her demonic children. Oh, don't we know it? That little Jeffrey almost ruined the surface the other day, singing at the top of his lungs for all the world to hear. That's so wrong. Mm. I have a prayer request. Um, the Whitmans are going back to Peru for a month to build houses. Oh, they worked so hard over there in that poor country. That's a good prayer request. They're such a nice couple. And her apple pie was the hit of the bake sale. Oh, yeah, but what about that V-neck sweater? I mean, could it have been any lower? Well, I just didn't think that it was becoming. I noticed that too, honey. And let's not forget the dress that she wore last Easter. Oh, I noticed that too. I didn't want to say anything. 
Um, I have another prayer request um, for us because um, we're just sitting here gossiping and I was thinking that, you know, we shouldn't be tearing down our brothers and sisters. We should be edifying them and lifting them up. So, we should probably pray for ourselves. Well, I guess you're right. We should know better. Yes, we should. No, I do it too. I mean, last week at the picnic, I told everybody that Betty's son was going to jail. And I found out he's going to Yale. <laughs> well, so. I don't know what happened to us. You know who's really bad at gossip? Who? You know, we, uh, we laugh, and I, I laughed. Uh, that's why I chose to play this. But I have to tell you, this kind of made me feel uncomfortable while I was watching it. And here's why. This, that particular skit was aired as a recording on Saturday Night Live. This is what the world sees about our prayer life. That's impacting. Negatively impacting. It's negatively impacting the world and it should be negatively impacting our heart. Now, I don't want to leave us there because I'll tell you what, church, we do a lot of important praying, don't we? When Steve was, when Steve Pulse, one of our brothers, was sick, this congregation went into 24 hours of prayer and prayer day after day after day. And we've done that for members and people and, and loved ones time and time and time again. But our, our purpose and process in this prayer time is very important. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 12. I want to give you an example of a church that, that prayed, and I want to take some thoughts out of that and see if we can't um, see some positives and maybe see some things that we can use to adjust how we pray. Uh, listen to this story in Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. Four squads of soldiers, four for each. Herod intended to bring them out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up! He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. When the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and, when the, and they went through. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. 
Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and the servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When they kept insisting that it was so, when she kept insisting it was so, they said it must be his angel. Which would have meant they really believed he was dead. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter mentioned with, motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had thoroughly searched, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Now, here's some realisms from that story about prayer that I want us to look at first. The first realism is, is the church here was praying fervently, but they reacted faithlessly. Well, here's what I mean. They were praying with all their heart as to what was going to happen, but when it happened, they didn't have faith in what happened. They didn't even believe it. Right? Look here, when we get together on the 28th, and we pray for this little girl that's in children's mercy, do we have faith to believe that God can do what we're asking Him to do? I hope so. I hope so. And if you're in your life struggling with a difficulty, you're trying to endure something that's way bigger than you are, I hope that when you pray to God, you pray in faith. And I hope that when your faith comes to pass, and God is at work in your life, and you see that, that you'll take time out and pray again and praise Him for that. This is a process. It's a communication effort with God. You communicate to Him, and He's going to communicate with you. But, but here's a realism that gives us a little bit of a struggle with this, and that's this. They were praying for Peter when he was arrested. Do you suppose they were praying for James when he was taken too? James, the brother of John, I'm guessing they were, right? Didn't work out so well for him. He was still beheaded. That's a realism about prayer, isn't it? Sometimes we ask, and it doesn't go the way we ask. God has a different plan. But let me ask you this. On a day when a man who has spent his life sharing the gospel and has given God his whole heart, dies, isn't that a day that something good occurs? Peter's faith is so strong. This is realism number three. He's sleeping in the midst of this storm. If I told you, if I put you in chains and you believed you were going to die tomorrow, would you have a good night's sleep tonight? But I believe Peter's prayer life and the prayer life of the church was such that he did just that. There's a realism in what prayer gives us in our life. And finally, you know, faith doesn't mean you stop using common sense. When Herod went to look for Peter, where was he? He was gone. Right? Yes, 
faith and prayer and all those things got Peter out of prison. He got to get out of jail free card, but he didn't stick around to see if they give him twice. God still wants you to look to use your head. I'm going to give you these five what I believe to be winning prayer strategies from our text today. And then I've got to wind down. Number one is this. The church in Acts prayed frequently. This church prayed frequently. They prayed when these men were taken. They prayed when these men were in prison. And they were still praying when Peter came knocking at the door. They prayed frequently. Are we a church that wants to pray frequently? Are we a church that prays about everything frequently? You know, we can't just wait until something happens and pray reactively. Let's pray proactively. You know, it was great that the community of, of Muncie, and I'm sure here in this area, got together on 9-12-2001 to pray. That's great. But were we praying together on 9-10? Were we praying together on 9-09? Or on, at 9, on 9-09? Were we praying together then? Or did we wait, did we wait until something happened to get together? The second thing we see is this church is praying earnestly. And that means they're praying until they can't pray anymore. Do we pray earnestly over events? Number three, they pray in fellowship. It's important, brothers and sisters, for us all to get together and embrace around a, a specific point and engage in prayer together. It unifies us. It strengthens us. It deepens our commitment to God with one another. They prayed with focus. They asked very specifically. And they were answered very specifically. And they prayed and, you know, hopefully what we learn from this is that we pray in faith. When God comes through, we shouldn't doubt who did it. Here's what we know. Jesus' prayers impacted His apostles' prayers, which impacted the church. And in turn, has impacted the world. What I want to ask you today is, what about you? Who is your prayer life impacting today? Who are you praying for? Is it your children? Is it your family? Is it your parents? Is it your grandparents? I want to I challenge you with something. I'm going to leave us all with this challenge today. I want you to go past the point of praying for something that's already in process. And I want you to begin to be proactive in your praying. I challenge you today, when you, before you leave today, go around this room and find someone you've never prayed for before. And talk to them and see what's going on and make it a challenge to pray. Or do that in your workplace. Or do it in your, within your family. And I guarantee you, it will deepen your relationship with God. It will deepen your relationship with that person. It will deepen your prayer relationship within your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells within you. I challenge each one of us today to do that. I challenge us as a congregation today... To begin a process of earnest and frequent prayer for the direction we go together. This is a time, Heartland, where we need to pray. We need to pray. 
need to pray. You guys need to pray for your leaders, the elders, the deacons, the ministers, their wives, their children. We need those prayers. We need to be praying for each one of you. We need to be praying together for the common goal that this church not only sit here and exist, but that it builds the kingdom, that it thrives, and that it thrives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we do that, the kingdom will grow. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together now. And I want to invite you at the conclusion of this prayer while Jerome sings to bring any need forward that we can help with today. There's, there'll be an elder up here and myself. There'll be an elder in the back. Please take this time if you need to, uh, to get spiritually fit, to get back in shape. Let's pray together. Father, You know our love for You and we know Your love for us. We are so grateful. We are so grateful and thankful today, Father. God, we ask You today to, to be with this church be with this congregation and its ministries. I ask You today, Father, to be with the body of Christ here at Heartland, with each, each family. There's so, much, there's so many different emotions and feelings and different needs. Father, I just ask that You continue to be at work here, that You continue to uh, encourage us toward one another, that You uh, help us to be forgiving, You help us to be encouraging, You help us to be loving. Father, that You help us to be stronger in our faith and in our prayer life, Father. We truly want to be impacted, Father, by prayer. So please, Father, hear our words and give us Your answers. And as we humbly say to You, may Your will be done in all things. In Jesus' name, Amen.